Welcome to White Plains Baptist Church. Good morning. My name is Gary and I joyfully serve as senior pastor here. And if you're new to us, I want to say a special welcome to you. Thank you for being our guest. You are an answer to prayer. I've been praying for you and your family this week, praying that whatever may be going through in your life, that God would be at work using that to draw you to himself, for him to be using that to show you that he is good and he is worthy. And and I'm thankful that you have decided to join us this morning. And as our guest, I hope that you find our church to be a warm and welcoming group of people. Thank you again for joining us this morning. Kids, it's always good to see you here at church. It's, it's a joy to see you, especially those who've had really good weeks and have told me about that week. And, and it's good to hear the things like that. Uh, I'm excited that this year, again, we're going to have a Christmas play. And you guys are going to be a big part of it, and leading us in worship of Jesus. It's going to be on Christmas Eve Sunday morning. Christmas Eve is on Sunday this year, and so during our 10 o'clock worship, you guys are going to be a big part of our worship service, so thank you uh, for being a part of that. We're going to start practicing here, in the, uh, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, right after Thanksgiving. We'll be uh, working on that on Wednesday nights, and so uh, Lacey's been hard at work at putting a script together for you and finding all the costumes. Play. So I'm looking for worship on Christmas Eve for the Christmas play. So thanks again, kids, for being here with us. You're dismissed to go to the lobby to be taken up to Kids Church. And the Kids Church is for kids who are in kindergarten through fifth grade. And parents and grandparents, you can pick them up in the lobby after our service is over. So as they are leaving, I want to spend a few minutes this morning to clarify a little bit from last week. Uh, in a conversation this week, I understand that I may not have been as clear uh, as I would have hoped to have been when talking about how we read the Bible to understand its meaning. Last week, I gave you three terms, uh, exegesis, eisegesis, and narcissus. And we, ex- we exegete when we attempt to get the original meaning as God intended out of the text. That is the process of exegeting. We eisegete when we put our meaning on top of the Bible, when we read into the meaning uh, the way we think it should read. And then we narcissegete a text when we insert our life, our circumstances, into the biblical text. Usually we self-identify as the hero when we do that. And I use the story of David and Goliath to illustrate how we can hear preachers and teachers who will teach a way of narcissegeting the text and saying something like, you are David, and when you face your Goliath, sling your stones of faith, and, and that's, nar- that's reading yourself into the meaning of, of the text, and usually those giants are debt, bad relationships, uh, pain, and so on. It's a popular way of teaching the Bible, but it's not the meaning that God intended when he wrote the story of David and Goliath. The story of David and Goliath is about God defeating the enemies of God and God rescuing the people of God. David, in this story, points us to Christ. The Old Testament does this many times. They give us this type of Christ. Now, a type of Christ is not Christ. David is that. You and I are not that. The whole of the Old Testament, when we read the Old Testament, we're reading it in anticipation of the Messiah. We're looking forward to Christ as we read through the Old Testament. 
This coming of the Messiah is something that we celebrate each Christmas. We never read the Old Testament to insert ourselves into the narrative. Uh, when we do that, we don't get the proper meaning of what the Bible is intending to teach us. Where I believe I did not clarify well last week is in explaining that meaning and application are different. to our lives, but we should be able to make ourselves the main character of the Bible. We should never insert our story into the story of the Bible to understand what does it mean. So how should we apply the story of David and Goliath as it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17? As we understand the story of David defeating Goliath, we understand that the meaning of this narrative points us to God defeating and God protecting. God is at work through David to defeat an impossible enemy. God gets victory over the enemies of God. God protects the people of God. And when you're faced with an impossible enemy, when you're faced with a difficult circumstance, what should you do? As you understand the story of David, is it, it's a story of God at work in the lives of his people, what should you do when you face those impossible situations? Pray. You don't need to pick up stones of faith and fight because Christ has already won the battle. We should pray when we're faced with difficult situations that put themselves in front of us. Why? We often use the Bible to help us interpret and to apply the Bible. So listen to these words from Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we get the wrong meaning of the Bible we will get the wrong application. God is with you. His peace, which may not make sense in the moment, will be with you and come over you in difficult situations when you go to him in prayer, trusting him to be with you and resting in the victory of Jesus in your life. I hope that this clears some things up from last week. Meaning and application are not the same thing. They're different. And when we seek to understand the meaning of the Bible, we are reading, we should exegete it. That's pull the original intended meaning that God has for you out of the Scripture. As we apply it, we can take what we learn from God and use other passages to help us live in response to the truth that we discover. If you ever have questions about what I've preached on or, uh, or things that I've brought up in conversation, I hope that you feel comfortable to come to me and ask questions. I, I love having conversations about scripture and about what it means and how do we apply it. Um, so I hope that was helpful. If not, you got an extra sermon this morning. 
But let's go ahead and finish 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to, this Timothy, uh, this series in Timothy, is, we've been calling it Gospel-Centered Godliness, being the church in the community. And I always enjoy finishing a series with you. I, I love starting them too, but there's something about us going through a book of the Bible together, about us reading it and studying it, explaining it, trying to apply it. It seems very good when we do this. It's like the thing the church should do when we gather. In fact, this is what that we do. We, we come, we gather as a church to hear the Bible, to pray the Bible, to sing the Bible, to preach the Bible, and even to see the Bible. When we see the Bible, we see it through our observance of the Lord's Supper and through baptism. It's what the church does. And I think through this series of 1 Timothy, I've seen us as a church grow closer to each other and closer to God in reading and understanding what, what Paul has for us in 1 Timothy. Let's look at chapter 6, 11 through 21 this morning. And as we've studied this letter, I've tried to keep our focus on this call to godliness. It's clearly stated throughout this letter it's a reoccurring theme. It's mentioned at least 10 times. And godliness is living as God would have you live under his authority. This call to godliness is for Timothy. It's for church pastors and for churches and their members. It's for the sake of the gospel. It's a call for the church and its leadership to live and worship in a way that proclaims the gospel to the church, that is, each other, and to the community around us. Our duty as Christians is to the gospel. It's important to note, and I've noted this each week through this series, that this call to godliness is always a response to our salvation. It's never a cause for our salvation. You and I cannot work our way to God. That is not the gospel. We are saved only by grace, through faith, now, we are saved, however, to do good works, to live a godly lifestyle, and to proclaim the faith that we have and share it with others. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 21. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up 
treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's pray in response to what we just read. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Lord, thank you for the way you have instructed pastors and churches to hold to the Bible for the sake of the gospel, to live in a way that proclaims the gospel, to worship in a way that proclaims the gospel so that we could be a church in the community. Lord, thank you for Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen. So Paul starts this section of this letter to Timothy by saying, don't be like those false teachers that we just looked at last week. Don't teach something that doesn't agree with the Bible. Don't teach something that doesn't agree with godliness. Don't teach for gain. Don't go after senseless and harmful desires that pastors are tempted with. Thus plunging your people into ruin and destruction. Don't do that, Paul is saying to Timothy. Paul says to flee these things. Don't do them. Run from them. And what's good for the pastor is good for the church. Don't teach or spend time with false, false things about God. Don't pursue things that aren't godly. Paul reinforces this idea about being content with Jesus and the gospel. He says in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Paul is speaking about preachers and teachers who are tempted to preach and teach for gain. And in your notes, Paul tells Timothy not to pursue wealth in his preaching. Don't be a preacher for the money. In pursuing wealth, the preacher is going to be tempted with all kinds of evils. We've seen that. Over the past several years, we've seen many popular and wealthy pastors who have fallen from all types of sins. And it's not just the popular ones and the wealthy ones. This, this is a temptation and an issue with lots of pastors and churches of all sizes. It's a real issue, and it happens when the pastor's priorities are not on the gospel or being content with Christ. Paul says to pursue other things. Don't pursue the things of the false teacher. Pursue other things. And again, what is good for the pastor? And Paul says to pursue seven things in this passage. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Righteousness is living in a way that is right and pleasing to God. Godliness is living like God would have you live under his authority. Faith is relying on God. It's complete trust in God. Love is wanting the best for the other. Steadfastness is doing these things without wavering. And gentleness is similar to steadfastness. It's living out these things with an even temper. Pursue living in a way that God would have you live that is right and pleasing to him, under his authority, relying on God, 
trusting God, and wanting the best for others. Do this without wavering. Do this with an even temper. This is what Paul is saying in 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Now he says this right before he says to fight. Let's look at verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Why do you think Paul would say fight to Timothy? Why would Paul tell any pastor to be a fighter? Paul just said, pursue gentleness. And the very next word in my ESV is fight. It's the same way in the NLT. Gentleness. Pursue gentleness, period. Fight. How do we fight with gentleness? Have you met a person who you would describe as a gentle fighter? This is what a pastor should attempt to do well, to fight gently. It's kind of in vogue right now for pastors to be either gentle or a fighter. Either extreme can lead to trouble. Those who are primarily fighters as pastors are often seen as mean-spirited and controlling. Those who are primarily gentle are weak leaders who won't confront sin or call out sin. A biblical pastor's path is to be both gentle and a fighter. As your pastor, the way I attempt to live this out is by appealing to your mind. I can't force you to believe or think anything. I can gently bring you the hard truths of the Bible and exegete them and let your mind be informed of what it says. I trust that as God uses his word to penetrate your mind, your heart will then be moved. I understand that some of us would prefer our heart to be moved than our mind. That is the way many people process things. I attempt to appeal to your mind because Paul says this in Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Jeremiah writes this in Jeremiah 17, 9-10, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. God recognizes that you and I have both a heart and a mind. But there's a caution for us that our heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Our mind must inform our heart, and we must use God's word to do that, or we will struggle through our attempt to live and worship in godliness. I would say be careful around a preacher or a teacher who primarily appeals to your heart or to your emotions. The filter in your heart will lead you astray. That is biblical. That is what Jeremiah is saying. The filter in your mind should lead you to discernment and properly inform your heart. It's okay 
if you're a heart thinker. It's okay to think with your heart. But let your heart be renewed by your mind's renewal. Inform your heart with a renewed mind. This is some of the gentle fight the pastor engages. And what is at root of this gentle fight? What is this fight worth having? This fight worth having has everything to do with the gospel and its proclamation and the way we live it out in our godliness. The fight worth having, according to Paul speaking here to Timothy, is over the correct teaching and thus application of God's word, the Bible. So why is proper teaching of the Bible so important? Because we receive faith when we hear the Bible. We hear faith when we read the Bible. Our faith is a gift from God, and we get it, and it grows when we spend time with the Bible. Paul tells Timothy to fight this good fight of the faith here. Paul also says this in Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What beautiful truth right here. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the gospel truth. Everyone, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus, he or she will be saved. Paul then asks some logical questions. How then can they call on Jesus if they don't believe in Jesus? How can they believe in Jesus if they've never heard of Jesus? How are they to hear of Jesus if someone doesn't preach Jesus? Paul describes that some of those who've been sent aren't preaching Jesus. They're not obeying the gospel. They aren't preaching the gospel. They are preaching something other than what the Bible says. And Paul connects all these dots here in verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. In your notes, your faith comes from hearing the Bible. Your faith comes from hearing the Bible, but not just the Bible. It's the Bible as it is intended to be heard and understood. There are many who are preaching the words of the Bible, but aren't teaching the meaning of the Bible. They are either eisegeting or narcegeting the text. They are saying the words of the Bible, but they're putting their own meaning on top of the Bible, or they're inserting themselves into the meaning of the Bible. Your faith comes from hearing the Bible and understanding its clear and original meaning. Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right belief matters. Right belief is what we call orthodox. Right belief leads to right action. This is why I preach and teach to the mind. Right belief leads to right action. It starts in the head, 
it moves to the heart, then it moves through your hands and your feet. Hearing the Bible strengthens our faith, and it prepares us to follow Jesus. Hearing the Bible strengthens our faith and prepares us to follow Jesus. We must be renewing our mind with God's Word. We can uh, shortcut our mind, though. Look at verses 13 through 16 with me of 1 Timothy chapter 6. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Our lives are to reflect Jesus. Pastors and churches are to keep the Bible unstained from improper eisegesis and narcissism because Jesus is the hero of the Bible. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, Jesus, the Lord of lords, Jesus, the one who alone has immortality, Jesus, the one who dwells in unapproachable light, Jesus is glorious. When left to ourselves, we can't approach Jesus. Without Him, we can't see Him. Without the gospel work of the church, people will never be able to see Jesus. We need the gospel. This community around us needs the gospel. Look at this commentary from the Gospel Transformation Bible. It'll be on the screen. It's in your notes too, I believe. There can be no fulfilling of the gospel ministry without godliness and its attendant virtues, all of which arise from the beauty of the gospel as we behold Christ, the mystery of godliness. How do you view Jesus? How do you see Christ? Is Jesus glorious to you? Are you captivated by Jesus as he is in the Bible? Our work as a church in this community will be impossible without a biblical view of the beauty of Jesus and the gospel message. We must be enamored with Jesus, with this challenging call of the gospel to deny ourselves and to take up our cross just like Jesus did on our behalf. We exist as a church to do the work of proclaiming the gospel message only for Jesus. This community around us, they may not heed the message. They may think we're foolish. They may look at us and not want anything to do with us. That doesn't matter. Our calling is to the gospel message and to Jesus. To, be, to Jesus, be honor and eternal dominion. We do the things we do as a church for Jesus. Now, Paul could have stopped here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and everyone would have been okay. He even says amen, and that's usually how you end stuff. But he, went, he goes on a little bit, because he is saying some things to a, read, to a pastor of a church in a region that was 
noticeably wealthy. Paul says a lot of things that could lead someone who has wealth to think they shouldn't have wealth. Look at verses 17 through 19 of chapter 6 in 1 Timothy. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, the storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. If you find yourself with, with wealth, your hope is still to be on God. You are to do good and to be rich with good works that promote the gospel ministry. That is real wealth. And Paul does finish in these last two verses of 20 and 21. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Paul wraps up his instructions to Timothy by exhorting him to guard the gospel message that was entrusted to him. Be a man of the gospel. Be a preacher of the gospel. Pastor the church in the gospel. Lead the church to be a church of the gospel in the community. Be known for nothing else. The church and the pastor are to be known for the gospel. We are to live and worship in a way that proclaims the gospel to each other and to the community. This is the message that we have. This is the message that you and I get to live out as we live and worship in a way as a church to proclaim that gospel. Let us do so in a way that proclaims it to each other and to the community around us. We are here for Jesus. We are here for this proclamation of the gospel. As we close, consider what you think of Jesus. Are you enamored with the Jesus of the Bible, or are you wanting something else from him? As you see Jesus in the pages of the Bible, is that enough? Are you following Jesus as a response to the gospel, or are you following Jesus in hopes you might get something else from him, that you might earn his favor and prove your worth to him? I'll invite the worship team to come back, and throughout this series, I have brought our attention to Romans chapter 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Without Jesus, you will die. Not just die in this life, we all do that, but in your death, you'll be separated from all that is good and loving for a future forever. This is the death that sin brings, separation from God and goodness. But God gives you grace in the free gift of Jesus. In Jesus, you will have life even after death. Life everlasting awaits those who make Jesus the Lord and center of their life as they follow Jesus. Will you follow Jesus today? Will you submit to his authority over your life? We're going to sing in a moment a song of invitation. 
If you want to talk more about what it means to follow Jesus, how to live a life like you're a Christian, this is a time for you to come forward and you can pray or you can speak to me. Are you following Jesus? Does your life look like it? Will you stand as we pray? God, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel. We thank you for Jesus as you revealed him to us in your word. Lord, I pray for those who want more of Jesus than what your word tells us. Help us to be satisfied in Jesus. Help us to be satisfied in the Bible and the gospel message that you've given us. Help us to see that Jesus is worthy. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, glorious. Help us to see Jesus. It's in his name we pray.